Did you see the song leader back here in the back? About oh, you're talking about song? birthday boy Corbin? Uh, yeah. He was just going on along right back here in the back. He was, it won't be long. It is Corbin's birthday, by the way. He's three years old. So all of you that remember being three, like the teenagers, uh, encourage him that now's the time to start looking for a job. Good morning, family. Good to see all of you here this morning. If you're visiting with us, we're glad you're here. Take a moment, fill out one of those cards that's on the back of the pew in front of you uh, so we can get a record of your attendance. Give that card to any of the men that have been up serving this morning. We'll be happy to help you out with that. want to go through some quick announcements this morning before we get into the lesson. I want to remind everyone that this Wednesday, 39ers are meeting at 1030 here at the building. Uh, someone from the sheriff's office is going to speak to the group about safety for seniors. Brisket will be provided for lunch. Ina is asking everyone to bring side dishes and desserts. This Thursday, 7 p.m. to 8 p.m., uh, the Foldings are inviting you to their house for singing for an hour. We won't be there, but Justice will. Maybe. He says he has a job. I'll believe it when I see it. Now, but the plan right now is to still keep that on track. If you're wanting to participate in that, show up at the house 7 to 8. Bible class and Bible study opportunities that are coming up. It was announced this past Wednesday night, and I'll mention it again. If you have not read the bulletin article, I encourage you to. It's dealing with this very subject that we're going to be talking about. But May 11th, 18th, and 25th, on those three Wednesday nights, we will be holding a three-week or four-week seminar on transgenderism, God, and me. We will be looking at this subject from a biblical perspective as we talk about these things, define, get some definitions out there to remove confusion in our minds so that we can reason together on this subject, but also reason together with those that we come into contact with on this subject. We're going to ask that all parents and adults who are not teaching be here in the auditorium that evening. We're also going to ask that our youth group not sit on the front pew, that they sit with their parents for those, for those evenings. That way, if there's any questions or things that pop up, they can have their parents right there uh, who are also listening and paying attention so that they can answer those questions of what was said. And then starting in June, the first Saturday of every month, we're going to devote in the morning to a men's Bible study. If you are 18 years and older you are, and a man, you are invited to come to these studies. We're going to look at what it takes and what it is to rise up as a man of God. And that will include several subjects that we're going to deal with throughout the course of that. And Daniel already took my thunder twice. He did it in Bible class. He did it during the greeting. Are you guys appreciating the coordinator reports the way that I am and the deacon reports? It's nice to know what these guys are doing, how they're handling the work that they're doing, and how we can help them be better at what they are doing. But one of the things that he mentioned in there that I got one clap from Justice on uh, was our one-year anniversary. It's actually May 2nd, but we're calling May 1st the one-year anniversary. And I got to tell you, Sonny and I feel supremely blessed to be here, to be a part of a group of people that love God, love each other, are continuing to grow and work together has, has just been fantastic. But I will say that as I was preparing my beard this morning, I noticed that there was a few more gray hairs than you, I had when I first got here. 
And I blame that on Joe Cash. <laughs> this is your patch right here, buddy. All those gray, all Joe. This patch over here, Melanie White, but you're over here. <laughs> We're blessed to be here and thankful for all of that. Let's get into the lesson. Open up your Bible, 2 Peter chapter 2. This is where we're going to spend our time this morning. We're going to bounce around to some other scriptures, but we're always going to come back to this text in 2 Peter. There we go. Anybody ever seen the movie Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? Okay, you guys know that that was written by Ian Fleming? You know what Ian Fleming is famous for, right? James Bond. Okay, amazing, amazing show, amazing show. It's got one of my favorite musical actors in it with Dick Van Dyke, because let's just be upfront with this. If Dick Van Dyke is in the movie, you know it's going to be good. That's just how it works, right? But one of the songs that is in that movie that I continue to think about often is the song Toot Sweet. Now, if you're not familiar with Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, probably the only song you know is from Jim Carrey singing it in the Ace Ventura, Ace Ventura movie when he's driving through the woods and when nature calls, right, as he's singing the theme song to the movie. But the whole show is about this fantastic car that does amazing things, and you're really not even sure if the car is real or not or if it's just the imagination of Dick Van Dyke and the kids. But he is a, he's an inventor, okay, and he invents this candy called Toot Sweet, and he's trying to sell it to Truly Scrumptious, which, by the way, best name for a female character ever in a show, to Truly Scrumptious's father, who runs a candy factory, All right? And so there's this whole song and dance, literally, that they're going into as he's trying to sell this candy that whistles to the old man. And one of the lines in the, sh in the song is, don't waste your pucker on an all-day sucker, and how many of us have ever heard of the all-day sucker? I notice that it's only a demographic that raised their hand that remembers the all-day sucker, all right? How many of us can say with all honesty and proudly that we ate an all-day sucker at one point in our lives? Okay, I'm thankful to see this. Be proud of this, guys. Come on. This is how it worked, right? Well, the all-day sucker was introduced, it was a candy, introduced in 1895. And it used to be just a candy stick, but then it moved into being candy on a stick. And not everyone approved of the all-day sucker. Okay, there was a teacher, Pennsylvania teacher, that wrote in the 1900s, early 1900s, that said, I ask the pupils, above all things, to avoid that demoralizing all-day sucker. I have never yet had a child who was persistently devoted to this candy who was of any account. One can buy four all-day suckers for a penny, and there is something so exasperatingly self-satisfied in the child who starts to school in the morning with three of these pieces in his hand and one in his mouth. A writer remembers a little while later that the price went up to two to a penny, and recollects his fondness for him, he said, in my youthful days, they used to have what they called an all-day sucker, selling at two for a cent, from which any reasonable human being of ordinary suction power could extract a steady stream of unalloyed bliss for 24 hours. Or, if he worked on the thing for one eight-hour shift per day, three solid days. My idea of heaven used to be a harp 
a halo, and an all-day sucker. It's interesting that even from an earlier time, because when you hear that phrase, all-day sucker, what do you think of now? You don't think of the candy, do you? They, from the 14th century, the word sucker referred to a mammal that was not yet weaned. And it becomes slang in 1836 to describe someone who is naive. And the term becomes popular because it was used by confidence men or con men. But just because a word is relatively new does not mean that the concept is new. I think I remember reading somewhere that there's nothing new under the sun and that we don't live in unprecedented times because whatever the precedent was has already occurred. But we do understand that there have been suckers throughout history, right? Lou's laughing. He knows exactly what I'm talking about. And often they become prey for those, for those unscrupulous people that are out there. And Peter gives a really good picture of who these con men are, who these pseudo-teachers are at the heart of things. So let's join together, and we're going to read together 2 Peter chapter 2. <clears throat> Excuse me. Starting, I believe, we're going to start in verse 10 at the ending of that verse, and we're going to read through verse 22. 2 Peter 10, B through Verse 22, daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties, whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. Suffering wrong is the wages of doing wrong. They count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way. They have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke for his own transgression, for a mute donkey, speaking with the voice of a man, restrained the madness of the prophet. These are springs without water and mists driven by a storm, for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption." For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. For if, <clears throat> excuse me, for if after they have escaped the defilement of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow, after washing, returns to wallowing in the mire. So Peter is presenting for us a picture of what we had talked about last week of guys coming in, 
not really knowing what they're talking about. They're doing this for personal gain. They're trying to gain attention and gain popularity and do all of these different things. And I think it's important for us to understand that the type of individuals that Peter is talking about here are not new Christians who are still trying to process through all of the baggage that they're carrying. All right, you understand what I, do you understand what I mean when I say baggage? So for instance, a Calvinist comes to understand the truth. There's a lot of baggage to work through on that. There's a lot of falsehood that they bought into that sounds good and biblical, but actually isn't. And it's gonna take some time for them to process through those arguments and things that they were taught as they were growing up, spiritually growing up, that they're gonna have to work through and they're gonna have questions and they're gonna wanna have conversations with people about it. These are not the people that Peter is talking to because that individual isn't trying to lead someone astray. They're trying to gain a deeper understanding of truth. That's not who Peter is addressing here. Who Peter is talking about here are animals. And he says, these guys are so bad, they're, they, they're like unreasoning animals. They, they revile where they have no knowledge. They're ignorant. And let's just be upfront with this. How many of us have ever fallen prey to ignorance before? Oh, I have. Absolutely. But what happens normally when, when you identify that you're ignorant in something? You work to correct it, right? Because how many of us enjoy being ignorant? I just want to verify. Okay, no, none of us here, because nobody's looking around, thank you. None of us here want to be continually ignorant. And Peter is addressing people who are being willfully ignorant, okay? They, he says that they forsook the right. They escaped the pollution of the world only to go back to it. They knew the truth, but guess what the truth didn't do for them? It didn't give them the position that they wanted. It didn't give them the attention that they wanted. It didn't fill their pockets the way that they wanted. So they know the truth, and they turn their back on it. And so Peter says that these people are like a pig, and the only thing a pig is, will do instinctively is go right back to the mud immediately after it's been washed. They act, but they don't reason. Proverbs will tell us that this is the manifestation of a fool, right? Like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats his folly, is how the proverb writer puts it. And so when Peter says they are like the true proverb, a dog returns to its vomit, and I think he gives a little local or more modern colloquialism here with the pig returning to wallow after it's been cleaned. What he is telling us is that this behavior that these individuals are engaged in is the purest manifestation of foolishness. This is not wisdom on display. This is the exact opposite of those things. And so he uses this to make a point that only the fool who goes against God acts like it's no big deal, okay? This is what Peter is driving us to. And the saddest part of this description as we're reading through 2 Peter Right, the second, the saddest part of this description is that it is their choice. They're choosing this behavior. When you look back at verse 14, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, excuse me, having a heart trained in greed. This is a choice they're making. They've chosen to enter into this training program. They've applied their whole effort at it to attain it. 
And Peter uses Balaam as an excellent example in this because those readers that he's writing to, and we as well, should know the story of Balaam. We should know that Balaam was a prophet for money, prophet for hire. His only job was to come and curse the nation of Israel. So Peter says, you remember that story back then about this guy who didn't have a talking donkey, but did? Yeah, his name's not Shrek, it's Balaam. Remember what happened in all of that? Every time Balaam opened his mouth like an unreasoning animal, until a reasoning animal taught him the error of his ways. This is a beautiful picture that he's presenting. And so Peter describes these guys as predators. That's really all they are. And these unreasoning animals doesn't mean that they're not smart. And it doesn't mean that they lack intelligence, though. They know what they're doing. They know who to go after. They operate like any other predator does with a specific target in mind. And so they choose the unstable. Verse 14. And I think that there's ways that a person is unstable, right? Now understand, Peter is not talking about some kind of mental instability here. That's not what he's referring to, all right? What he's talking about are, are individuals who perhaps have, are going through a trial and they're weak. And they're suffering, in their suffering, they become weak. And they use that suffering to lure them away from the truth. Or they fail to, uh, for whatever reason, by faith or whatever, grasp onto the foundation that is Christ. And so they're confused about some things. These individuals swoop in and collect them up. And, and then carry them away or attempt to carry them away. There's the new Christian that Peter specifically mentions in verse 18 when he says those who have barely escaped, that doesn't mean by the skin of your teeth, it means they're fresh out of the world that they have just escaped from sin. And these new Christians here, these are the ones that these predators are targeting in all of this. And we understand this concept, don't we? How many of us understand that a predator in the wild, if we're just talking about Mutual of Omaha Wild Kingdom here, are gonna go after the older ones, the weaker ones, the young ones? How many of us have watched the documentaries on those things? We know how this is how it works. And how many of us, when there's a baby around us, all of a sudden everybody starts feeling protective? It's the same attitude we're supposed to take with our brothers and sisters in this because predators will target them. And here's the deal. The promise that the predator is making is no different than the promise that Jesus is making. Do you guys notice that? The promise that the predator makes is freedom. And the promise that Jesus makes is freedom. The problem with this is that an individual who is a slave to corruption can't offer freedom. The promise is empty, and so Peter says, the promises they make, yeah, they're promising freedom, but the promise is like a spring without water. You show up dying of thirst, and there's nothing there to actually satisfy you. 
And the only reward they get is just judgment of the flesh. This is all that awaits the false teacher. And you know, one of the great things about the church is also the church's greatest challenge. You know that, right? People. One of the greatest things about the church is people. And one of the greatest challenges that the church faces is people. They're all wrapped up into this thing. And I think at times we can lie to ourselves or maybe even just get deceived on certain things about what God's vision is for the people of the church. And his vision is relatively simple, right? That, that God's, God's looking at this thing and he's like, all right, these are my people on this earth and this is how it's supposed to work. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to gather people and I'm going to gather them from all walks of life and I'm going to unify them under the banner of Christ. All are going to be made equal in Jesus. This is the vision God has for the church. We actually see this in Isaiah chapter 11, which was our reading this morning. Read it again with me, guys. Tell me you don't see this as the vision of God for his church. Because at the very beginning of Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah says, a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Who is that? That's Jesus. He's talking about the kingdom with Jesus reigning as head of the kingdom. Okay? And he goes through all of these great descriptions of what Jesus is going to be doing, how he's going to be behaving, what the king is actually going to look like. And then he says, and the wolf will dwell with the lamb. And the leopard will lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. A little boy will lead them. Also, the cow will bear, sorry, the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, pay attention. All the nations will resort to the root of Jesse. Who will stand, the root will stand as a signal for the peoples. His resting place will be glorious. Now, how many times have we heard or have we read Isaiah chapter 11 and we've heard commentators and everybody say, oh, what a day that will be when we are all joined together in some future utopia where everything is drastically changed. How wonderful will it be that young children will get to play with poisonous cobras? I can't wait for that day. How wonderful will it be to see a lion eat grass? That's going to be so awesome. Guys, Isaiah just went through that whole section at the beginning explaining who Jesus is. And that very next section is what Jesus does to people. I'm not convinced that we're supposed to take Isaiah 11 literally in those verses about the animals. And I'll tell you why. Because who can change the leopard's spots? Who can change a man from what he was into something that is completely outside of the character of what he was. 
Only Jesus can do that. Who can take a lion or a bear and have them rest with what would, we would consider their natural enemies or food source? Only Jesus. Only Jesus can change the nature of a man. Some of us are cows. Some of us are lions. Some of us are naive. Some of us would eat you alive if Jesus wasn't around. But it's his power that made us both the same. It's his power that changed who we were into who we are. Because I'm going to be upfront with you. I know there's a couple lions out here right now. There's at least one standing up here talking. And I know who the sheep are in this place. And I know who the cows are. And I'm okay with that. And I'm not going to try to eat you. I'm not going to try to damage you. Just like the other lions aren't going to try to eat you and damage you. They will protect you, and they will help you, and will probably learn gentleness from you. And those things that we didn't natural, weren't naturally good at before. That Jesus provides those things in the church. This is God's vision, guys. God's vision was not for people to rip and tear at each other through all of this. But as he brought us together, he meant us to be this way. And like I say, some of us are naive. That's not a bad thing, okay? It's really not. I know sometimes we make fun of those people that are naive, but it's really not a bad thing. But being naive doesn't mean we can be suckers. Right? Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 16. Okay, Romans chapter 16, 17 through 20. Paul says, now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you've learned and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. For the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I am rejoicing with you, but I want you to be wise in what is good, innocent in what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. God's vision for the church is that we're to be untainted by sinful motives, which means we have to be aware of their existence. But it also means that we've got to be aware of how the world works. When Jesus sent his disciples out and he tells them, hey guys, here's the deal, I'm going to send you out as wolf, as sheep, there's going to be wolves out there. So he, you need to be shrewd as serpents. You need to be innocent as doves in this. You need to know how the world works. And following God's vision is a responsibility that each of us carries. We should be able to identify the character of false teachers. Oh, it may take time. And we've talked about this in the past. Like I said last week, somebody comes walking and says, hey, y'all, let's just try hedonism for a month and see how that turns out. Yeah, 
Get out, guy. Come on. And it's going to take time, but we should be able to. I think even God expects us to be able to determine what is truth and what is false. And we're supposed to act accordingly when those identifications have been made. Too many times we are told that we have to tolerate everybody. And Peter makes the point here, no, you don't. Because if they're leading away the new Christian, if they're leading away the one that is struggling and suffering in trial, if they're trying to break into what God's vision is for people, we don't tolerate that. We don't allow that to happen. Real quick, how many of us would be perfectly fine with me going and, and grabbing Luke, which, where is Luke? Okay, oh, grandma and grandpa got him. It'd be a tough go. But anyway, how many of you guys would be perfectly fine with me going and grabbing Luke, bringing him up here, and just chucking him up into the air? Would you have a problem with that? Why? You don't throw babies. He's vulnerable. Are we okay with that with a new Christian? In fact, I would expect the same kind of response in that situation as I would everybody bum-rushing me to beat me down up here on stage and live stream if I threw a baby. That's why Peter is telling us these things, to help us understand what this is supposed to look like. Don't let somebody come in and tell you that you're a sucker. Because the only real sucker in this world is the one who will give up true freedom for slavery. That's the only sucker that's out there. And protecting those who are new, protecting those who are weak is a job for all of us. It's not just a job for Jeremy. It's not just a job for the elders. This is a job for all of us. That we're supposed to be teaching. We're supposed to be admonishing one another on a continual basis. This is a preventive maintenance program that we can be engaging in. This is a strengthening program. We continue to our growth in all of these virtues that we've been talking about as we've been looking at what Peter's been writing. But above all, guys, it makes us remember what Christ has done for us. And not just for me personally, but for you also. You see, the minute that we forget, we become a sucker. Sadly, it's not just an all-day sucker if we don't get out of it. This is an all-eternity sucker. I'm not willing to give up freedom for slavery. It's not something that Jesus ever promised me. It's not something that Jesus ever promised you. Do not fall prey to the predator. And if you are finding yourself struggling with a predator, why do you think we're all here this morning? Let us know. Ask the questions. Seek the guidance of the elders. See what they're saying about these things. 
Peter's point is not to encourage us to say, be like, yeah, those false teachers are going to get what's coming to them. Special circle in hell for those guys. Can't wait for them to hit it. No, that's not at all what he's saying. He's providing very real-world warnings to us to be the people that God has called us to be. Unified under the banner of Christ, who has changed us from who we were into who we are. And who we are has real power. And we're called to live that power every day. Are we ready to live as a powerful people? Not a power that we make up on our own, okay? But a power that's been granted to us by the King of Kings. A power that's been given to us by the Lord of Lords. A power that has been given to us by the man we call Master, Jesus. I'm ready. I'm ready to let his power be seen through me. No matter where I find myself. Are you ready? Then let's do it. We're going to stand and sing a song together. Hank's got it set for us. As we, he's been talking about walking this morning, which, by the way, works quite well with the lesson, even though he never called me. It's almost like the Lord was working here. That the walk we are engaged in is meant to be one of confidence. It's meant to be one that as the Savior leads, we follow in his footsteps, going where he goes. Is it always going to be easy? Probably not. Is it, will we always have challenges and growth opportunities? Absolutely. But is there's, no, there's no better path for us to be walking on together, unified together under his banner. And so if you find yourself this morning struggling with the walk, John tells us that we obey God's commands and his commands are not burdensome. And if you find that you're, you're really struggling and this is a burden, let us help you with that. True joy is found in following God's commands. That's why they're not a burden. And we can encourage you. We can pray with you. We can be there to help you. And if you're uncomfortable coming forward, the elders are available in the back room after worship to have these conversations with you. And perhaps you're with us this morning and you're just ready. You're done trying to bear the load and trying to find freedom somewhere else. You've heard of this Jesus guy. You've heard that he provides freedom and forgiveness and grace and mercy. And you're ready to partake in that. And you're ready to make the confession that is the greatest confession on the face of the planet, that Jesus is the Christ, he's the son of the living God. And that by coming to this earth, he showed us what a real relationship with God looked like and just how much we messed it up. And because we messed it up so bad, death is required. And he joyfully paid that for us. And you go into the waters of baptism, your old self. Maybe you're a lion, maybe you're a cow, maybe you're a baby, maybe you're a viper. But you come out changed. Because that's what new creation means. A part of God's people. First you were just people, but now you are the people. If we can help you with that this morning, we encourage you, whatever it is, make it known by coming forward while we stand and sing.